Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Good morning, Chapel. My name is Andrew Riley. I am the college pastor here. Uh, I usually spend all my time at LSU, and so I just want to say thanks to Steve for giving me an opportunity to preach here today. LSU is about to start, which means you won't see me for a long time from here, uh, maybe until next summer. Hopefully not that long, but uh, but it's going to be a while. Anyway, I would definitely encourage you to pray for us as we attempt to reach the campus of LSU with the gospel. And so um, we are continuing our series in Ruth, Ruth chapter four. Um, and if you don't know what Ruth is about, or this is your first time here uh, and you don't know what we're talking about, Ruth um, is, is very much a love story. It's an incredible love story. Um, it's about a man who is a, a great man, at least for what we know of him, right? It makes him look real good, makes us men feel insecure a little bit sometimes when we look at Boaz. Um, but we are going to be wrapping up this love story that we have. And just as an intro, I just want to go ahead and tell y'all about my love story just a little bit. I mean, I'm right up there with Boaz. All right. If you know Boaz, right, he's, 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 he's up here. Um, and, and for me, I just want to tell you about the first conversation that my wife and I had uh, when we just met each other, right? It was our first conversation. And you'll see just how like Boaz I really am. And um, so, so we're talking, right? We're helping freshmen move into dorms. We're both part of Refuge Leadership. Refuge is the name of our, of our college ministry. And uh, we're helping them move in. And uh, we just ha so happened to end up helping the same person move into their dorm. And we're telling each other, you know, what we want to do with life. I'm like, yeah, I want to be in ministry or uh, uh, I want to be a pastor or work at a camp ministry, whatever that looks like. And she's like, hey, you know, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And, uh, and, and so I legitimately look at her and in the rom most romantic way possible, I say, good luck finding a husband. And I told, I said that in all seriousness, I want you to know I was not making fun of her. You know how uh, someone wants to be a lawyer and you're like, man, good luck with the bar, right? That's like their test they have to pass. Or you look at someone in med school and like, man, good luck with the MCAT. Like that's, it's going to be tough, right? And I was like, what test does she have to pass? Finding a husband. She wants to be a mom. And so anyway, uh, so you see me and Boaz are, are same level here. Um, <clears throat> And just making sure y'all know that. Uh, but I need to give a recap of what we just saw in Ruth chapter 3, okay? In Ruth chapter 3, what we have is we have Ruth, who's our main character. Her husband died. She has to go back home with her mother-in-law. She's got nothing to her name, Right? She doesn't have any money. Back in that time, she couldn't just get a job. She had to rely on the support and the, um, man, just the good heart of other people in order for her to survive, in order for her to get food. Because back in the day, you couldn't really do that yourself. It was really difficult, especially for a woman. But in Jewish culture, there was this thing called a redeemer, a redeemer. So because it was really hard for a single woman, especially one whose husband had died, to get along, right? Uh, one of the things that we see in the Bible is that God provided a way for them to be, uh, their needs, needs to be met by having a redeemer, which was someone who was a close relative would not only redeem the land and pay the price to get the land, but also would marry their brother's spouse, their dead brother's spouse, in order to protect this person, to carry on the line the name of their brother, as well as to protect the individual who just lost their husband who couldn't get along. And so in this scene, 
uh, of uh, Ruth chapter three, um, she goes to one of her redeemers, Boaz, right? Who's kind of like the hero of this story. And she does something weird. She lays at his feet. Basically, it's a proposal, right? Who said the girls couldn't propose, all right? It was a proposal. Hey, look, would you redeem me? Would you redeem me? Would you pay the price on the, the land, the, um, the debt that we owe? Would you, would you pay for that? And so she went to him. And then at that moment, Boaz says, yes, I'm going to do something about this. There is a redeemer. There is someone who is a closer relative than I. And so I need to go to that person first and see if they want to buy the land, pay the debts, and then also marry you in the process to protect you and to carry on your family lineage. And so that's what happens at the end. And then we are told that Boaz, right, the hero of this story, right, gets up and he immediately addresses the situation. And so that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter 4. And so once again, go ahead and go to Ruth chapter 4, and that's what we're going to read. And I just want to point out a few things about the story, and then I want to get into some more important parallels that we see through the story. So I want to mention a few things about the groom, a few things about the bride, because we're about to see their wedding day. It's really romantic, really awesome. They're going to ride off into the sunset and everything, and, uh, and then we'll get into some parallels after that. So Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. There was a redeemer that was closer to him that had first choice if he wanted to redeem the land and also marry Ruth in the process. And so he went up to that guardian redeemer at the town gate. He had mentioned, come along. Boaz said, Come here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Verse 2, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so because they needed to make sure there were witnesses for whatever happened. Um, verse 3, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our rel relative Elimelech. Verse 4, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. And so what does this guy say? He says what? I will redeem it. The Bible doesn't give us his name. We don't know who this first redeemer in line is, but he immediately says, yeah, I'll redeem it. Why? It's a great investment. He gets more land. He's able to grow more crops. He's able to get more money, therefore more influence, more power, right? He's like, he's all excited about this. But what do I want to point out about the groom? I want to point out uh, the groom that Boaz is faithful to his word, okay? As he continues to be the hero of the story, and they just only talk about the good stuff of Boaz, all right? He immediately does what he says he's going to do. He's like, hey, I'm going to address this. He tells that to Ruth promises out of her and says, I'm going to go ahead and address this. And so he just shows his character that he is going to stay faithful to his word. And so what does he do? He goes to the guardian redeemer, even though he himself obviously wants to redeem the land and redeem Ruth. He's obviously infatuated with Ruth. Uh, there's probably a little bit more there, but he stays true to his word. And so that's the first thing we see about Boaz. But let's continue to read. Something very interesting happens right after this. Verse five. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. He obviously drops in where she's from, knowing uh, what that might mean to this person who's not named. The dead man's widow, in order to ma maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
Okay. And so verse six, this is where things take a turn. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. See, in order to redeem it, you also redeem the land. You also have to marry the person who owns it. It was the, what God did in order to help and protect. But at this moment, what happened? As soon as he realized he had to marry a Moabite woman, someone who wasn't Jewish, someone who wasn't um, an Israelite, someone who wasn't part of their, what they believed was the only people that God loved or God cared for sometimes, right? They took it a little bit too far. As soon as he found out he would have to marry a Moabite woman, that was when he was like, whoa, slowly roll. Like, this might be a good investment, but it might hurt my estate. It might hurt my name. It might hurt my children. And so he was unwilling to redeem. And so what does Boaz do here? Verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. Now, I think that whoever wrote this story down, they were trying to protect whoever this guy was. Kevin, our lead pastor, he always refers to him as Joe Blow. I don't know why, but that's just what he does. And he's like, hey, look, maybe they didn't put his name to protect him because he didn't fulfill God's commands to be the guardian redeemer. And he didn't want to just smear his name all over the place. So verse 9, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, and Malon. Verse 10, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite. Notice how he mentions it again. He's like, this guy over here is staying away from this because he has to marry this woman with all the baggage that she carries in her name and who she is. And he's seeing it as a badge of honor. Like, hey, look, I am going to acquire Ruth the Moabite. And he sees it as, hey, I'm redeeming this land and this person. Even though y'all see her this way and who she is, I willingly accept this and redeem her, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Verse 10, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. So what do we see here? That the groom Boaz is faithful to God's word. Faithful to, to God's word. This is very important, right? Yes, of course, he was probably in love with Ruth. He saw her, he was infatuated with her, wanted to redeem her. When everybody else said, uh, when the other people were like, no, I don't want to touch that. He said, I am willing to fulfill God's word, even if she's a Moabite, even with all the baggage that she might come with, with her past, where she's from, who her parents were, and everything that happened. So he's faithful to God's word. This is very important. Once again, it just shows his character. It shows his character that even if it was going to hurt his estate, even if it was going to hurt his name, with what the culture thought at the time, he said, I'm willing to follow God's commands. And what was the command? We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 6. This was a command, once again, for the protection of widows and also to make sure that the line didn't end Right there, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. 
If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. And so Boaz said, hey, look, not only do I want to um, be faithful to my word, but I want to be faithful to God's word. This other guy didn't want to be faithful to God's word, even though he was the guardian redeemer, even though it was his responsibility because Ruth was a Moabite. And then Boaz comes along and says, not only do I want to do this, but I will fulfill God's word here. I will perform the rights of the guardian redeemer. And so he moved forward with it. And once again, it just shows the character of, of Boaz. And once again, one of the reasons this exists is for protection. In the 21st century in America, if you are a woman, you're a widow, right? It's easy. It's not easy, but, um, but you can get along by yourself. You can get a job. You can provide for yourself, right? It's, it's easy in our culture, but back in the day, you couldn't do that. They couldn't just work a field by themselves. They didn't have all the rights everybody has now, all the opportunities they have now. And so in order to protect them, they were a part of the kinsman, redeemer, rules that God had set apart to protect them, to help them. And so it's very important that we understand that. And Boaz was more than willing to do that. So that's a few things we see about Boaz, just a few things we see about Ruth. And then I want to get into some really important things. Um, Ruth chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's see what happens. What's the elders' response here? Verse 11, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, very prominent women in um, uh, Jewish culture or history, who together built up the family of Israel. These two women had uh, 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So what do we see here with the bride, with Ruth? Ruth is honored by the elders. She's honored by the elders. As soon as Boaz says, yes, I'll redeem you. At that point in time, the elders are like, okay. And then they look at her and they immediately pray for her and their family, their new family. They say, hey, will you bear lots of children? which back in the day was a great thing, was an awesome sign. I know today it's not always a great sign for many people in our culture, but for them having lots of children was incredible and it was a blessing. And so they first kind of pray for that. But secondly, they say, hey, will you, won't you be famous? We pray that you'll be famous like Perez and Tamar, which was another marriage that was very interesting. And I'll let you look that up yourselves one day. But it was another marriage in which it was for protection and it was to uh, carry on the name of Judah. And so they pray for that. And then also, or, yeah, they pray both for uh, that they'll have lots of children and then they also pray that they'll be famous. And we're going to learn more about that next week, that that prayer actually came true through their lineage. And next week, Steve is going to come and talk about that. But to wrap this up, just one more thing about the bride, verse 13 so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to, con to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And so this brings it full circle. What do we see? The bride, Ruth, is loved and redeemed by Do Boaz. They got married. They had a child. All the things that were supposed to happen, happened. 
right? This is like an incredible story. They're right after the sunset. This is end credits, right? This is where Lady Gaga does her love ballad. And then the story is just full circle. Everybody's redeemed. Everybody's clapping. Everybody's crying. And then just like any other movie, we have no idea what happens next. And then when there's a sequel, then you see all the pain and the problems that happened the next couple of years. We don't see that. But all we know is this beautiful love story. And so it's great to just take a moment to look at this and to acknowledge, man, this man was willing to do this. He was willing to sacrifice maybe his image. He was willing to redeem Ruth with all of her baggage, with her being a part of the Moabite people, the people that the the people of Israel looked down upon. And he was saying, hey, yes, I'm willing to redeem. And one of the most beautiful things about it is because His mom, Boaz's mom, was Rahab, who was also not an Israelite, and yet she was redeemed as well. And so you look at Boaz and he says, you know what? God doesn't just love the Israelites. Yes, it's God's chosen people, but he cares for the world. And if anybody is willing to come and worship him, then that's a great thing. And that's what God wants. He wants every tribe, every nation, every people group to know that he cares for them. He loves them. And he wants them to be grafted into their family. Boaz knew that, even though it was difficult for the Israelites to see at the time. And so he was willing. Okay, this is great. I went over the chapter four. We went over the love story. It's awesome. End credits, love ballad, all the things. But what I want to focus on now, why is this story so captivating? What makes this this book of the Bible, something that people look at and they're like, wow, this is great. This is awesome. Why is it that almost every women's ministry wants to go over the book of Ruth? And once again, not trying to be too stereotypical, but there is truth to that. Why is it that so many people look at the story and say, I want to study it. I want to know it. It's because there's something deeper here than just some love story. It's not just a love story between a man and a woman. It's a love story that we can see parallels in the God of the universe to us. And I want to wrap up today by pointing out those parallels, the parallels of what Jesus did for us, what God did for humanity. Those are the things we see in Boaz, in Ruth, that make this story so captivating. And it's so much more than just a love story between a man and a woman, but from God to his creation. And so I want to focus on a few things here. You see, Boaz didn't just marry Ruth. He redeemed her. That's very different. Boaz didn't just say, man, I love her. I'm going to marry her. No, he redeemed her. And you need to know the definition of redeem. To redeem something means to set free by paying a price. To redeem something means that it costs you something to set this thing free, to release it. There is a cost here. And it's one of the things that makes it so beautiful is that Boaz was willing to pay the price in order to set Ruth free, in order to get her out of the debt that she inherited. And I want to say in the very same way, that's how we are to God. In the same way that Ruth was powerless to save herself. She didn't have enough money to pay the debt on her fields. She, couldn't, she didn't have enough strength in order to tend the fields all by herself with Naomi so that she could get more crops, sell more crops, get more money to save herself. She couldn't do anything about it. Not only that, but she was a Moabite woman, so people automatically looked down upon her. She was powerless to save herself. And I want to say in the same way that parallels us before God, that we've got some baggage of our own, don't we? 
We've got shame. We've got guilt. We've got sin. We've got our evil thoughts. We've got the evil things that we've done in our past. We've got the evil things we've done in our present. We've got the evil things we're going to do in our future. And we are powerless to save ourselves. We're powerless to fix the problem. And we might go who knows how long. You might go a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades of your life saying, I can fix my problem. I can just make myself better. I can just try harder so that I don't mess up in the future. But everyone gets to the point eventually where they realize that you cannot fix your problem. That there is something deeper inside of us. There is a problem deep within us that always wants to do the wrong thing. Always bent towards evil. And yet we want to save ourselves in all sorts of crazy ways, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we can't. We are like Ruth. We are powerless to free ourselves from the guilt. We are powerless to, to get rid of the baggage in our past. We can't do anything. And so many ways, we are like Ruth here. And so we're going to look at some parallels with the gospel. When it comes to redemption, the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus had to be like us had to be like us in order to redeem us. This is one of the most difficult uh, theological aspects of the gospel. Why did Jesus had to become a man? Why did he have to take on human nature in order to redeem us? Why did that have to happen? Well, let's read. So in Ruth chapter 3, verses 12, this is what um, uh, Boaz says to Ruth. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer, of our family, there is one who is more closely related than I. In other words, you had to be a relative. I don't know exactly why that had to be, but that was the rule. You had to be a relative. In other words, hey, this was for your family. In order for your family, in order to take the brunt of the problem, to fix the problem, you had to be a part of the family to be a garden redeemer. And so the same thing is true with Jesus Christ, right? He didn't just wave a magical wand up in heaven and say, fixed, redeemed. He said, no, 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 I had to become like you. Why? So that he could die. The penalty for all of our baggage is death. Somebody had to die. I ask my kids that question all the time. Why did Jesus have to die? And they're like, for our sins. No, 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 no. Why did he have to die? It's because in order to pay the punishment for all of our baggage that we bring into the relationship between us and God, all of our sin, all of our evil, Somebody has to die. That's the penalty for sin. And so Jesus, the God of the universe, said, you know what? I'm going to take on human flesh so that I can die in your place, so that I can redeem you. He had to be like us. We see this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus had to be like us, flesh and blood, so that he could die in our place, freeing us from our fear and the reality of death in our lives. God had to take the nature of man. Why? He had to be like us. Why? So that he could pay the penalty to redeem us. So that he could pay the price. The second thing we see about redemption is that Jesus was able to redeem us. Jesus was able to redeem us. 
How do we see this in Ruth? Ruth chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 um, uh, says, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of my elders and my people. Suggest that you buy it. In other words, there was a cost associated with redemption. You had to be able to pay the price. You're not going to go to somebody, you're not going to go to your brother-in-law who is in a stupid amount of debt, it doesn't know how to manage money in order to ask him to redeem the property. No, you're going to go to the one who is actually able to redeem the properties, property. Someone that actually has the financial resources to do so. If you're getting bullied in the school, you're not going to go to the smallest kid and say, hey, would you help me with this? No, you're going to go to the biggest kid and say, hey, will you help me defend myself against this person? You need to go to someone who is actually able to fix the problem. And so in this instance, the only person that we can go to to fix our problem is Jesus. We can't go to anything else for redemption, even if you think it will help, even if it might help you temporarily, and it might psychologically give you some help. The only one that is actually able to solve your problem is Jesus Christ. There is no one else. Where do we see this? We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Gold won't save you. Precious stones won't save you. The only thing that could save you is a perfect human being living a perfect life, sacrificing himself, dying in your place. That is the only thing that can pay the price that you owe. Nothing else. The problem is we are trusting all sorts of other things to free us from our guilt, free us from our shames, free us from our sin, and all the baggage that we bring into our relationship with God. We trust all sorts of other things. And I just want to go through a list of things in which we think that we can trust in order to redeem us, to pay the price to set us free in this life. Do you think money can redeem you? A good 401k? Do you think that being the best person you can be will redeem you? No, you're just going to mess up again. Do you think your church attendance will redeem you? Do you think that giving all your money to the poor will redeem you? And make up for your past? Do you think having the right president in office will redeem you and save not only our country, but you yourself? Do you think that being a model law-abiding citizen is going to redeem you? Is that going to cover the cost that we owe? Can being a tolerant human being redeem you? Can your agnosticism or skepticism redeem you and just questioning everything? Is that going to solve your problem? Can alcohol redeem you? Can a vacation redeem you and fix your problems? Can your friends or family redeem you? Can your new age philosophy redeem you? Can you be, be redeemed by discovering your, your self-identity and your own self-imposed purpose on your life? Can any of these things actually take the baggage of your life, the evil things that we have done? Can any of those things pay the price between you and a holy God? The answer is no. None of those things are able to redeem you. The only thing that's able to redeem you is the perfect God of the universe coming down, taking on human flesh so that he can live a perfect life and dying in our place. 
That is the only thing that can save us from our guilt and shame problem. The only thing that can save us from our sin problem. The only thing that's going to take away the baggage that we have brought into this life. And in the same way that Ruth trusted in Boaz to be her redeemer, to save her when she wasn't able to fix the problem, it's the same way God wants us to go to him and see him as the only one that can redeem us. There is nothing else in this life. Only God can solve our problem. Jesus is able to redeem us. Not only is he like us, and so therefore he can take the penalty, but he is able to redeem us. His precious life that he sacrificed in my place and in your place, he is able to redeem you. Nothing else can do that. And then last but not least, when it comes to redemption, Jesus was willing to redeem Jesus was willing to redeem. Right? Let's go over just a key part of the story here again. Boaz goes to him and says in verse 4, But if you will not redeem Ruth, tell me so that I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And so what does this Jill Blow have to say? I will redeem it. So he's like, yeah, just the land. I'll redeem it. Nothing wrong with that. I can get some seeds. Hire some workers. It'll be great. And then Boaz says what? On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And then he immediately does what? Whoa. Well, I thought I was just getting some land, right? Real estate is looking real good right now. That's what I thought I was going to be getting. You're telling me I also have to take this other thing, this, this Moabite, this woman, and he backed off and said, no, I'm not willing to do that. Why? I'm not willing to do it because then it might mess up my estate. It might mess up my children's inheritance. It's just going to mess things up. It might mess up my reputation with this Moabite woman. In other words, she's got too much baggage for me to want to step into that redemption process with her. I can't marry that girl. There's too much there. And so what's the parallel that we see here? Is that Jesus was willing to redeem us with all the baggage that we bring into this relationship, all the brokenness that is inside of you, all the imperfections that are inside of you that you know that you're thinking of right now, Jesus knew all of that and said, I'm still willing to redeem you. I'm still willing to take the cross on your behalf and so that you will share in my inheritance. You will share in my estate that you get to be with me in heaven and share the goodness of all that is the new heaven and the new earth with me one day as my children, as my heirs. And in fact, the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. He was willing to redeem us, willing to share his inheritance, willing to invite us to be a part of his estate, even with all the baggage. A lot of you might watch HGTV, right? I love HGTV. Uh, my wife and I, it's one of the only things we can watch together. That and uh, like Alone, which is where people get you know, thrown onto an island to see how long they can survive. Uh, but HGTV is uh, something we can do together, right? It's clean. Uh, I, it's, it's, it's fun. It's family friendly. You don't have to worry about anything bad. And it's just cool to see a trashed out home that is like 60 years old get remade into something beautiful and gorgeous and redeemed. 
It's just this beautiful thing. And I don't know how many of y'all just scroll through Zillow. Some of you, like you've got the Zillow app and it's like one of the things you go to all the time, like just to see what's going on out there. And you'll go and you'll look at something or when you're buying a house, uh, you'll look and you'll see this beautiful looking thing on Zillow. And you're like, wow, this is great. And then you go and you check out the place and you're like, this place is terrible. Like they didn't show me a picture of the HVAC system. Like I wasn't able to see how many times they painted over the, um, the floorboards or the molding down at the bottom, right? How many of, oh man, that's like one of my least favorite things. Like they painted over this thing seven times. Like I just get a new one at some point in time. And uh, anyway, like, and you get there and you're like, man, there's so many problems. And you're like, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with that. That's too much baggage. But when you have someone who is not only able, that has the money, but says, you know what? I'm willing to go into this home with all the baggage that it brings, with the roof that needs to be replaced, with the old dishwasher, with all the old features. You have these people who are not only able that can pay for it, but willing and say, you know what? I know how much baggage this comes with, but I'm willing to step in here. Man, and in so many ways, we are that broken house. In so many ways, we come with that baggage. In so many ways, we are broken. And Jesus looks at us as his creation and says, I am willing to redeem. I am willing to come into this house to spend the money and redeem you. And so the question is, do you want to be redeemed? Do you want to be redeemed? When it came to Ruth, right, she had to lay at something's feet. She had to lay at somebody's feet. And she went to lay at the feet of Boaz. In other words, that is who she trusted to redeem her. And my question for you is, who are you laying at the feet of to redeem you, to solve your biggest problem, your biggest need in this life? Whose feet are you laying at? We're all laying somewhere. Are you laying at the feet of your own philosophy? Are you laying at the feet of your own good deeds? Are you laying at the feet of your friends, your family? Are you laying at the feet of feeling comfortable in this life? Are you laying at the feet of ignorance and just saying, I don't want to think about what happens when I die? Are you laying at the feet of um, chance and just saying, I just hope God lets me in? Whose feet are you laying at? The only feet we need to be laying at is not another person. It's not a husband, not a wife. It's not Boaz. The only person's feet that we should be going to is Jesus. The only person that we should be going and humbling ourselves and say, will you please redeem me and fix me and solve my biggest need in this life, which is redemption. The only person's feet that you should be going to is the feet of of Jesus. I don't know what else you've trusted in your life. I don't know whose feet you've gone to, but the Bible says that, hey, look, if you want your biggest need to be met, which is redemption and a right relationship with Christ, then you need to go to the feet of Jesus. You need to go to his feet and humble yourself to the point where you say, I can't do this by myself. I can't solve my biggest need. I can't redeem myself. I'm powerless just like Ruth. And so God, would you please redeem me? God, would you allow your sacrifice on the cross to cover over my sin, to pay the penalty that I deserve to pay? And would you forgive me? 
And would you save me from all my baggage and my brokenness? And so some of you in this room, you've never gone to the feet of Jesus. You've never humbled yourself. You've never acknowledged that you're powerless to save yourself and gone to the feet of Jesus and asked him, would you please forgive me? Would you save me? And so here's what I want to do. I just want to lead y'all in a prayer that if you've never gone to the feet of Jesus and now is the time where you say, yes, I've tried to save myself my entire life. I've tried to fix my own problem. But now you're discovering you're like Ruth and can't save yourself. I just want to lead y'all in a prayer. If that's the decision you want to make, then I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me. Not exactly what I pray, because my words are powerless. But if the posture of your heart, if your true desire is to humbly go to the feet of Jesus and say, would you please redeem me? Would you allow the price that you paid 2,000 years ago on a cross cover my debt that I owe. He says that anybody that humbles himself and goes before God and begs for forgiveness, that he will be like Boaz and say, yes, I won't stop. I won't stop until your redemption is complete. If that's a decision you want to make this morning, then I want you to pray with me. You can pray in your seat. You can pray in your head. But God knows what's in your heart. So pray with me. If you want to make that choice today, say something like this to God. Lord, I know that I am not perfect. I'm broken. I'm sinful. And I bring all sorts of baggage into this life. I have chosen evil things. I have gone away from everything you've said I should do. And I've trusted in myself to fix my own problem. But God, I acknowledge that I can't. I can't fix my problem. I can't redeem myself. I can't pay the price. The cost is too high. And so God, I humbly come before you. I come to your feet. God, would you please forgive me? Lord, I acknowledge that your death on the cross is what paid the price, the debt that I could never pay myself. And I trust that you and you alone are the one who can redeem me. And I believe that you died for me and you rose from the grave proving that you actually said, you actually did what you said you were going to do. And so would you help me follow you? Would you redeem me? Would you help me see that my life is now no longer my own, but it's yours? God, every time in the future when I try to rely on something else to redeem me, another person, money, comfort, another human being, every time I try to rely on something else, God, would you bring me back to your feet and remind me that it is only you and your precious blood that could pay the debt that I owe. Amen. If you prayed that, Um, and you truly meant it with your heart, not just because you repeated my words, but you truly meant it. God says he is faithful to redeem you, and you are redeemed, and that is a beautiful thing, and you are now in his family, and you are now co-heirs with him. You get to share his estate and his inheritance, and so if you made that decision today, then this is just the beginning of your journey. This is not the end, and so I'm going to be in the back worshiping along with y'all, and if you made that choice, I'd love for you to get up when we all stand up and to come back and talk to me. 
because I want to help you navigate the rest of your life and what that looks like. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.